How many were here for the first installment of Hebrews? Okay, good. So most of you, so I don't have to review too much. Uh, but we're going to talk about, the title of the message is Jesus as the Firstborn Son. So we're going to kind of unpack that and what the implications are. Uh, let's read, we'll go back to verse number one so we can get a little context too. Um, we'll read from verse one to verse nine and then we'll jump in. Uh, long ago in a land far away, just kidding, long ago God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Somebody say amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, son. Yeah, there we go. By his son. God has appointed him heir. See that, that language there? God, God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. That's interesting. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, and we unpacked that uh, the first time, and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. How many are thankful for God's word? Amen. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, so he became superior to the angels. Just as the name he, what's the next word? Inherited. So we have um, son, heir, um, inherited, right? A more excellent name. All these are like familial references. Verse number five. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? Today I've become your father. Or again, I will be as his father, and he will be my son. Again, when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, and let all God's angels worship him. And about the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds. I thought for sure, I was like, it should be wings, but I don't know. It's just an interesting wording. And his servants, a fiery flame. But to his son, to the son, rather, your throne, God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. Uh, so there's a lot there, a ton, and we're gonna we're gonna unpack it uh, in the in the program in the message notes. I gave you uh, it says there are additional materials and helps. Uh, if you've never studied angels or spiritual beings, I talk about them a lot just because I'm a, a you know, Naked Bible podcast listener and a Michael Heiser geek and love all the stuff he puts out. Um, and his stuff is in my messages a lot. Uh, so he was on the, the board or the committee that helped frame the Faith Life Study Bible. So a lot of these notes in here are his anyway. Um, but it's New Testament terms for unseen divine beings. We won't jump into it this morning, but if you're curious about that, um, and you want to see more of the connections that are made with angels and demons and Elohim and even like uh, go, go a little bit further and deeper. There's more than what meets the eye, more than just like, you know, when you grew up in church, there's angels and there's demons and then there's us. There's layers to it. There's many layers to it that are found in scripture. And so this is a good uh, springboard for you. And that's just free information. Uh, that you can kind of dive in on your own time and in your walk with the Lord. Uh, so enjoy that. 
Uh, but we'll pick up here and start with verse number five, and we'll kind of walk verse by verse through this uh, and make sure that we see what the Lord has for us. But uh, kind of what we're going to discover is all of this language, this family language, right? Heir, and he's my son, he's my firstborn. Um, you know, that's, that's what the Lord is using to describe this situation. Uh, how many of you are a firstborn in here? Raise your hand. Come on. How many? Raise it high like a firstborn would. Be proud of it. All right. How many are middle children? Okay, we have a therapist in the first room on the left <laughs> waiting. <laughs> One more time. Who are the middle children? Oh, man. Okay. All right. That's good. Uh, how many babies of the family do we have? Let's hear it. Say, woo! Let's hear it for the babies. <laughs> uh, we're the ones that make it fun. Amen? That's right. Mm-hmm. And all the firstborns in the room just rolled their eyes. Every one of you. Oh my gosh. I have to be careful because this is live stream. Not that my sisters go back and watch anything that I say or do on the internet because they could care less about what their baby brother has to say. But uh, anyway, I, I'll probably talk about them a little bit this morning. But it's interesting. I remember studying birth order a little bit. It's been a while. Uh, when we uh, started having children, and then we ended up having a lot of children. <laughs> uh, why not? Let's keep, keep it going. Where's baby mama at? She was in the first service. She's probably out. But, uh, oh, no, there she is. Okay, good. I got to watch what I say. She's in the back. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for revealing that to me. Um, which is funny because I have two older sisters, and I'm the baby of the family. She has two older brothers, and she's the baby of the family. Uh, so we are beyond compatible, if you know what I'm saying, anyway. Uh, y'all okay? <laughs> I just sucked the air right out of the room. Y'all are like gross. Uh, we went to a comedy show last night down in the city. And, like... <laughs> Why do we even pay taxes around here? Does anybody know? (laughs) Like, who's in charge of this thing around here? They blocked off every road everywhere. Like, it was there was the art. uh, What's it called? Artscape was this weekend, and then they canceled it. But instead of moving all of the big dump trucks that they used to block every street known to man, getting to the lyric, they left them there and then kept rerouting traffic all around them. And I'm just like, I'm just trying to get to the lyric. You know what I'm saying? Like, let me think. No, no, go around. Where am I going to go? I'm like, literally, it's like a huge barricade, and the lyric is in the middle of it. So we just kept driving around, and the weather was great. It's been phenomenal. It's been really good. So that's not a concern. Thank goodness it's not a concern. Uh, but we uh, went and saw Nate Bargetsy. How many have heard of him, Nate Bargetsy? He is hilarious. Oh, my goodness. We just, I mean, we were rolling the whole time, except when I started to fall asleep at the end because it was a really late show. <laughs> but it started like 30 minutes late, so the show didn't start till 10 because the line was wrapping around the building because nobody could find a place to park, go figure, because all the parking garages were like shut down and barricaded. Anyway, and then I had to park, we had to park like, you know, forever far away. So then you know what that means, like one o'clock in the morning walking around Baltimore. Love that. Love that. <laughs> what a wonderful place to witness to people about the Lord at one in the morning at Baltimore in the art district of all places. We have stories to share. I don't know if this is the place to share them. 
But it was interesting, to say the least. <laughs> it was so good. Anyway. So, yeah, so anyway, we went to a show last night. But uh, uh, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but it was really fun, and we had a good time. Birth order. You know, kind of digging into that and having kids, it's like you, you see the natural lay of the land. You see the, the formation of, like, the leaders and the middle kids and the babies and how all that kind of works and fits together. And even in our family dynamic, it was like, okay, you know, obviously the firstborn. And she was the firstborn for a little while before we had more kids. And then having twins, we're like, how does this work with birth order? But it works itself out. I mean, it's clear who is the next one in line and who is the baby. Uh, and Ross would be the baby, just in case you're wondering. Uh, and then that goes for a few years, and then we have another baby, and that shakes things up because he's clearly the baby. You know what I'm saying? And everybody's favorite. He's not just our favorite. He's their favorite too. So that makes it okay. Uh, but you can definitely see the way that, you know, your place in the family sometimes can determine your future. And it can determine uh, how you perceive the world around you. Whether you perceive it through the lens of, like, I have to do something about this, or I have to get behind the person that is leading me and support them because they're going to help me get through this. See what I mean? One would be a firstborn. One would be the baby. And then the middle child, like, just talks bad and trash about everybody. Like, why am I even here? <laughs> like, I mean, they call the shots, and they get whatever they want, and here I am in the middle. You know what I mean? Nobody likes the middleman. Uh, but you, you should work as a parent to undo that. But it's true, you know, the middle children. I remember my middle sister uh, finding notes, you know, that she wrote when she was a kid. You know, Jen can't do anything wrong. Matt gets everything that he wants. No one notices me. <laughs> you know, and I just remember, like, running around with her diary, reading it out loud. <laughs> like, oh, no one loves me. <laughs> you know, I was the horrible little brother. You can't imagine, right? Can't imagine. But, uh, yeah, anyway, she got me back in various ways. We'll not get into any of that. Birth order. It matters. And, and also, like, if you've never considered that from a perspective of child rearing and um, how you deal with each one of your kids, I would say you should probably educate yourself and, and learn a little bit more into birth order and see how that does affect things. Because the Lord, I, you know, I believe that the Lord gives us children as gifts, right? You know, they're, they're gifts from the Lord. And it's our responsibility to steward the things that the Lord gives us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? So if you're not properly equipped, if you haven't uh, educated yourself in such a way that you can steward those gifts that the Lord has given you, um, you know, you're prone to make mistakes. And, and we don't really need help making mistakes as parents, do we? <laughs> it kind of happens naturally. <laughs> and we pray that we just don't ruin them, amen? Uh, but I, I, would, I would. I would look into some of those things and kind of make adjustments. It's not just well, they're all the same, and I give them the same treatment equally. We're not talking about preferring one over the other. We're talking about understanding how they're wired and how their position in the family shapes the way they think. 
It shapes the way that they understand and perceive and how they love and how they receive love from you. And, and I think as a parent, you ought to see that. I see it within mine. Why is this relevant, Pastor Matt? Well, in this passage, Jesus is referred to as the firstborn. He's referred to in the birth order as the one that came first. And there's implications behind that, maybe not as many in our culture, uh, but back then, it meant everything. Maybe you're making your will and you think, well, I have three kids, so I'm going to split everything three ways. It didn't really work that way back then. We babies of the family, thank God we're living in 2023. You know what I'm saying. We get an equal part, hopefully, prayerfully. But back then, if the father had the lands and the businesses and the, you know, the, the cattle, and it was the firstborn's responsibility to step into that, and he got a double portion, and he would continue the family's legacy. It would, it would live on through him. And we've seen examples in the Old Testament where that firstborn messed up sold his birthright, and the younger one stepped in. The second one stepped in and did what the first one what? Couldn't do. Does that sound familiar? We'll get there. Birth order. This is about birth order. Also, and we'll see, some of the cults, some other religions, they take these scriptures and they leverage them for their own use and benefit. Still haven't figured that one out, but we'll, we'll see some of it. So let's, let's go to verse number five. Verse number five. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? Today I have become your father. And so I want to show you the connection points. This is a direct quote from the Old Testament. And if you see the way that your Bible is laid out where there's a comma and then this separate like quotation that's mine in my Bible, it's bolded. Uh, they bold that, that quotation. You should like think about that. Like, huh, this is kind of standing out. It's like almost like they're saying it from somewhere else. And they are. They're quoting the Old Testament. Remember also the, the context here. Uh, I think from the perspective of, of just understanding that it's Hebrews, Right? And people that speak Hebrew, the Jews, the early church, when this was written, you have a collective, you have the church, the gathering of believers that is this hodgepodge of Jews and Gentiles. Was that always an easy mix? I mean, according to Corinthians, did they have some issues? Yes or no? Yeah, even the book of, the book of Acts that details in, in the, the kind of a chrono, uh, chronological way of how the first 30 years of the church went, there were some issues, right? But the idea is there were some, the Jews, that have been in this thing a long time. You know, th this is thousands of years for them that they have been following Yahweh, and then all of a sudden, here's this guy, Jesus, and we're supposed to accept them, accept him? Well, yeah. You see, the Old Testament builds up. There's this unresolved tension where, where over and over, whether it is through the, the, the kingship, this line, this lineage, there's this unresolved tension that at some point, somebody's going to come through the throne of David. The line of the tribe of Judah, he will come and he will rule and he will reign. And, and he's going to 
uh, he's going to change everything in, in their own manuscripts, in their own writings. The Old Testament points to something, someone, a Messiah, an anointed one, a Mashiach that will change everything. But yet they're stuck in their ways. They're stuck in thousands of years of tradition. And from the perspective, I think that Paul is probably the best illustration of this. From a Gentile's perspective, or someone who was just joining the church, who's believing in Jesus, Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, he was not a good guy. Running around hunting Christians and killing them, uh, throwing them in prison, not a good guy. We, We don't think like, man, this guy is horrible, but he had a conversion, and after his conversion, He was amazing, and he wrote 13 books of the New Testament. But I want to remind you that before his conversion to a Jew, he was the man. He was the holiest of them all. As touching the law, blameless, he justified his behavior. He justified what he did by his religious works, not accepting Jesus and persecuting those who did. And so my my point is, is there was a, a real live tension at this point in time, between Jews that like abided by the law and did things by the letter of the law and the Christians who accepted Jesus as their Savior. And on, on the Christian side, there were Jews and Gentiles. There were both. But it was still a challenge. Why? Because they were a blended family. And so the Lord is using terms like the firstborn. So if you have brothers and sisters that aren't getting along, in this equation in the book of Hebrews, whoever the author is, remember it's author unknown, they're coming along and they're saying, hey, uh, y'all need to get along and you need to like fall in line. Because we have a firstborn that has stepped into the role that is is the one that's holding the keys to the proverbial familial kingdom. And if you'll just understand and accept him as your older brother, like things are going to be okay. Even though we're coming from a blended family, a broken home, so to speak, different backgrounds, different philosophies, different mentalities, Jews and Gentiles, but they're going to come together. So that's kind of like, I don't know, my way of helping you see what's happening here. So the writer is going back to the Old Testament, and he's formulating these thoughts based on writings that they've had for thousands of years, and he's saying it's always been there. The Lord spoke in in times past through the prophets, and, and this is the same thing. It's the same way. He's the same God, and he's speaking to us by his son. So we can see here connection points for chapter 1, verse 5. The first one is that this is a quote from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. Psalm 2, uh, verse 7 says this, I will declare the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my what? And today I have become your father. Does that sound familiar? It's a direct quote from what we have here in Hebrews. Hebrews uh, chapter 5, verse 5 says this, In the same way, Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest, but God who said to him, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. So again, it will be quoted in chapter 5. Acts chapter 13, verse 33. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm, 
you are my son, today I have become your father. And then in our text, once again, for to which of his angels did he ever say, you are my son? Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. So to continue the thought, Christ is the son of God, but also the firstborn. Connecting the position of son and firstborn together, relaying that Jesus is in a category all to himself. In the early days of of the church, they were worshiping angels. They thought, yeah, these spiritual beings have power. Uh, They listen, they hear, they can do things that we can't do, and so we're going to worship them. And if that's the propensity of, of, of the parishioners in the early church, Whoever the author is of Hebrews says, let me explain something to you. That's a mistake. You're worshiping someone that takes their orders from the Son. You're worshiping someone who is merely just carrying out what they're told to do. Don't do that. Worship the one who's actually in control. Worship the one who actually holds the position. Now, if you were a uh, a cult, or, you know, a religion that wants to formulate your own thoughts instead of what Scripture says. Um, and, and a lot of them do this. They reduce Jesus down to being a prophet, a good man, you know, somebody who did some good things, but he was born. And you're like, well, yeah, Jesus was born. No, but I mean... Uh, they say that that his origin was when he was born and that he's not necessarily the eternal God. Uh, This this would be a mistake. I believe, uh, I mean, I talk talk smack about it a lot, but uh, the Jehovah Witness, when you really get into the doctrine, the line upon line, them saying, yeah, he was a prophet. Yeah, he was born. He has a starting point. A lot of times they'll take you to this verse. And they'll say, well, here it is. Uh, You are my son. Today I have what? Become. See there? There's a starting point. There's a reference of where Jesus started or it was initiated. He was born. There's some weird things. Uh, It's not just one. It's not just two. It's many of them that have a a view where uh, he doesn't have the same power or the same structure. Look, here's the thing. We believe that Jesus is God. He is, yes, God's son, and there is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but as we believe in those three separate parts, we also believe that they make up God. They are all all all-powerful, all-knowing, omniscient, omnipresent, consubstantial. They are of the same substance. They are co-equal. And and our frame of mind for understanding the scripture sees multiple powers in heaven. And from the Old Testament, even in Jewish literature, there is two powers in heaven from there. And then a spirit of God that moves, right? So we formulate our Trinitarian perspective. Well, what about a Unitarian when it's just one? Is that scriptural? That one God is moving and working and he allows Jesus to be born? And Jesus is the firstborn. He is a human being. Is that correct? It's not. 
And we have to understand what lens to look through for this. And so we have to do a little bit of digging. We have to do a little bit of research. Um, and, and that's that's what I've done this week, and we'll get into it. But the point is, is like, if you read some of these verses and you isolate them and you say, yeah, Jesus is in a category of his own, but he was born. And he's God's son. God gave him the powers. You can easily get off the rails. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God. There has to be a place in our mind where we hold the tension that Jesus was both born and had a beginning as a human, but yet he also existed outside of time and has no other origin. Does that make sense? You're like, no. (laughs) That's okay. We'll get into it. So, Hold that thought. We're seeing this in Psalms. We're seeing this quote over and over that Jesus is God's who? Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, son. Y'all wake up. How many are just ready for a bowl of chili and some soup, and you're just ready to go see if see night-night? Anybody? Yes. How many did not want to get out of bed today? Come on. Come on. I know I didn't. My alarm went off at 6 o'clock this morning, and I was just like, no, no. I just immediately started shaking my head because we got to bed at an ungodly hour last night. I was like, no, I don't want to get up. (laughs) And Sarah was like, get out of bed. Man, it's just those rainy days. The covers feel so good. It's all warm under there. And we have children just to, to like, bring us our coffee in the morning. And No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Sounded good, didn't it? Wouldn't that be great if we actually had kids that did stuff around the house? (laughs) Let's keep moving here. We continue the thought, Christ is the son of God, but also the firstborn. Now here's where it gets good. You ready? Connection points for chapter one, verse six. If you look at verse six, again, when he brings his firstborn into the world and let all the angels of God worship him. So 2 Samuel 7 through 14, I will be his father. He will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. Faith Life Study Bible says 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16, Yahweh speaks of King David's future heir. Jewish interpreters during the Second Temple period understood this passage as messianic. The claim that God would establish an everlasting kingdom through David's descendant finds its fulfillment in Jesus. So when we talk about him being the firstborn, we're seeing that this was a line that was created through Israel. Let's keep going, right? Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. And you will say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my, say it with me, firstborn son. Come on now. Y'all got to engage. I promise I'm going to get real theatrical here in a minute. But you got you to do the work here. Before the jokes come and the exciting yelling and screaming, we have to do the biblical work, okay? The exegesis. It says that Israel is God's what? Firstborn son. Psalm 89, 27. I will also make him my firstborn, greatest of the kings of the earth. This is a plan that God has had from the foundations of the world. I want us to see the connection of Israel and the language used as them being the firstborn, watch this, 
knowing that they are not first, the firstborn physically. It is a position or status. Let me ask you a question. Is Israel actually God's firstborn son? Yes or no? No. Even if you were to like really think, Israel is Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He's the beginning of this. It was his 12 sons, and it started with him. Is Jacob actually the firstborn son? Yes or no? No, he was second in line and received the birthright that was supposed to go to who? Esau. Here's what I'm saying. Other Cults, religions, they want to say firstborn. See, he was born, he's the firstborn, and they use that literally. But what I'm showing you, and it's right here from Lexham, Bible Dictionary, Israel is the firstborn of God. David as the firstborn for the highest of the kings of the earth, Psalm 89, 27. Jesus as the firstborn among many brothers, Romans 8, 29. Jesus as the firstborn of all creation, Colossians 1, 15. Jesus as the firstborn from the dead, Colossians 1, 18, Revelation 1, 5. Jesus as the firstborn of God, Hebrews 1, 6. The church as the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, Hebrews 12, 23. My point is, is that the first Firstborn is a status. It is a position. It is not the physical firstborn. And that that status, that position has been used to describe the person that is in that role that will continue the line, that will bring about the kingdom of God, that will bring about the inheritance of the family. There has to be somebody in that firstborn role that can carry on the lineage. You see what I mean? So it's absolutely good to say Jesus is the firstborn without thinking he's actually physically born of God, and that's where he originated. That's how religions and cults are made. Listen to my statement here on this. I think it's important for us to know sound doctrine. Do you agree? Three of you, amen. All right. I need a stiff drink after that one. How many believe it's important for us to know good sound doctrine? Less that time than the time before. Amen. Somebody say amen. All right, that's a little better. Here's the statement. You ready? Jesus was not created or formed. He is the physical manifestation of the eternal God. He was born, but it was a miraculous birth, and that birth was not his origin. Adam would have been the firstborn. But Jesus holds the status or position of firstborn because of Adam's failure. Where other cults and religions place a box of pure humanity around Jesus, they are missing the point of God being with us, Emmanuel, and God taking the place that was originally for us that we failed to execute as firstborn. Are you starting to see the full picture? God created Adam. God blessed us with an Edenic blessing. He gifts us creation. He tells us to subdue it. He tells us to have dominion over it, to work it, to create, to live in it, and it be this incredible thing. And what happened? Adam fell. Adam sinned. The firstborn has fallen. There has to be someone else to pick up that mantle and run with it. This is where Jesus steps in. 
where, where humankind, where we screw it up, where we constantly struggle, where even Israel, God would say, you're my firstborn. I'm going to bring about a lineage. God knew that it wasn't about them being the human. It was about them bringing about God through the human race, Jesus, who would then pick up the mantle who would then have the status of firstborn that could actually get it done right. That's what we needed. How many are thankful for our older brother, Jesus? Amen. Let's keep going. Verse number seven, look at it. And about the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants a fiery flame. That's a quote from Psalm 104, verse four and making the winds of his messengers, flames of fire, his servants. In a day when the angels were worshiped, the author of Hebrews makes a clear point that the sun dictates the movement and power of the angels. I wonder how many of us would be more influenced by a supernatural show than by the source of the show's power. We should have this thing of origins on lockdown. Now, let me get sideways on you real quick. It's going to be fun. Buckle up. What happens if a UFO lands in our parking lot tomorrow? I'm ready for it. I'm just saying. I'm like, I'm like, hey, <laughs> I want to ride. Let's go. What happens if a UFO lands? Here's the thing. In the early church, they were worshiping angels because the angels could do things that they couldn't do. We are so enamored with things that are like, I mean, I am, <laughs> like comic book stuff, you know, like it would be so cool if it was real. We all want to believe that. And in my mind, I think like that's, that should give us a hint, right? If we have a propensity to see and believe in these crazy supernatural things, then maybe we were created from a supernatural being, right? Maybe we have that innate in us. And we know that it has existed, right? And that's true. But here's what I want you to understand. Like, the Lord spoke to them in Moses' days and Moses' ways, as Scott McKnight says. Even in the, right, verse number one, where the Lord's talking about through the author of Hebrews, he's saying, look, he spoke in their days in different times through the prophets, and now he's speaking to you through Jesus. And here's my point. If God were to write a letter to us, in our time and in our day, it would probably have different things in it. Things that mean more to us, like aliens. <laughs> no, just kidding. But seriously, maybe. The point is, is that to them, God spoke to them with their capacity of thinking and what they could understand. Just because it's not written in scripture doesn't mean that it's not there or doesn't mean that it's not true. And so my thing is, is like, what happens if you know, our all-powerful government that hides things from us if they leak information again or whatever, if they decide they're going to release classified documents. Uh, they, they tell us what to believe and what not to believe, right? So uh, no sarcasm detected at all, but the point is, is like, what if we discover that there are things that might not be written in the Bible? Do we just freak out? Are we like, what now? I'm questioning everything. I don't even know who I am. Is there life outside of the earth? And everybody has that one verse that they're like, no, because of this verse. And I'm like, okay. You know, there's probably a couple, more than one ways to skin a cat. And 
that verse might mean a couple of, of different things. Might, there might be a couple of options there. And so my point is, is like, would we be shaken? The same root that causes us to worship an angel is the same root that would cause us to be shaken. And this is just my two cents for us here in this season. The same thing that causes us to get enamored with things that come from the creature rather than things that come from the creator is the same thing that challenges us. We should have this thing of origins on lockdown. And here's what I, here's like the whole thing. If aliens come tomorrow, right? My thing is, is God did not specifically detail everything in scripture. I don't think there's like, eh, we got it all, all the information. No, I think that God gave them what they needed and we are gleaning from it, right? So between us and God, there could be some room. But here's where there's not room. You ready? There's nothing above God. What God made absolutely 110% abundantly clear is that he is the supreme being of the universe. That's it. And if there are other things that might not fit your biblical categories exactly, and you're like, Woo-hoo, what is that all about? Obviously, it's a little scary, and there's some unknown, but let me tell you what's not unknown. The fact that there is nothing bigger than God. The fact that there is nothing more powerful than God, and there's nothing outside of his control. There's nothing that didn't originate with him. In your mind, if you question, what life, what is this? And if there's life outside of, look, there's nothing outside of him. We might not know all the details and we might not have it all figured out, but he what? He does. Amen? So I think for us, maybe we're not worshiping angels because here we are in 2023, right? We know those guys are like lesser than, maybe they didn't quite figure that out back then, but we've got that on lockdown. But what is it in our generation that we are going to worship instead of God? What is it that the enemy is going to use to get you sidetracked from you putting God in the highest category? Let's keep moving. Keep moving. I got things to say. (laughs) Connection point for verses 8 through 9. Look at verses 8 and 9, and this is where we'll land. But to the son, this gets me all kind of excited. But to the son, your throne, watch this, God. Do you see what just happened? Theos. To the son, if there's any question about his deity. You want to say he was born and that he's human and all that? Okay, yeah. Uh, Yes, he was born and yes, he was human, but he is also God. Right there, you see it? Your throne, God, don't miss it, is what? Forever endeavor. Oh my goodness. And the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. Watch this. This is a quote from Psalm 45, 6 through 7. Your throne, God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. Your love Uh, You love, rather, righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy more than your companions. Here's what I have. To the Son, to the Son, what do I see here in these verses? We see that Jesus is called God. Somebody say amen. The firstborn 
Our brother in this equation is God. He has the power. What's the next thing I see? He holds a scepter. What does that mean? This is connoting leadership and once again supporting his status of king. When Moses was given the responsibility to lead the people, what did God put in his hand? A staff. Whoever in this culture is holding that staff, is holding that scepter, they are the ones leading the people. Do you see that? Jesus is holding a scepter, seated on the right hand of the Father, holding the scepter. It is showing his kingship. It is showing he is in the position. This has been prophesied from the beginning. There would come a lion of the tribe of Judah, seated on the throne of David, knowing that this king, his name is Jesus. This is a fulfillment of the promise. What else do I see? I see his kingdom is characterized by righteousness. What's this world's kingdom characterized by? Mm. Look around. What's our country characterized by? Power, control, manipulation, money, greed. The kingdoms of this world, I think of Paul's thoughts on rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. But Jesus' kingdom, as he holds his scepter, the commonality, it, it, what is displayed, what goes out in his kingdom is righteousness. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, Sonic. <laughs> You know that word justice, you see it? See it right there? Justice and righteousness. You know, when I looked up the word righteousness, guess, guess what word I saw right there near righteousness? It's justice. And when you look up justice, guess what word you see in, in, in the definition of justice? Righteousness. They're like synonyms here. And they're also in another place. I'm going to share that with you. The position of Jesus in power. Oh, oh, oh I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry. In Israel... One more thing. What do I see here? Jesus is called God. He holds the scepter, connoting leadership. His kingdom is characterized by righteousness. Another fun thing that I see. In verse number nine, it says that he has been anointed with the oil of joy. In Israel, the king was anointed with oil at their coronation. And we see that Yahweh has anointed Jesus. My point is, is that it's all here. It's all there. He's holding the scepter. He's been anointed with oil. In their own kingdom, it would have been the coronation. It would have been the, the separating apart of the king. David being anointed with oil. Application, you ready? This is a landing of the plane. The first thing I see here that we are, this, this is what we ought to take away. As we stop at verse 9 and we think and ponder what Hebrews has done so far, the first thing that I think we should walk away with is this. The power of God has never changed hands. The power of God has never changed hands. I want you to rest in that this morning. God has never ceased to be God. But, but no, he, he's anointed Jesus and there's been a transfer of power my point is, is that he has had a plan from the beginning. 
Yes, Jesus assumed that role, but he assumed a role physically on earth. We see him taking control of something that was his long before. How does that encourage you? How does that encourage me? Let me tell you what it does for me. How many have had a rough day before? How many have had a rough week? How many have had a rough month? And how many have had a rough year? You're like, I've had a rough life. Anybody? I have this time, this period of time that happened, and, and, and I just fell out of control. I just feel like it was just a hot mess. No one was there for me. I was all alone. Let, let, me, let me explain something to you. There's never been a time that God did not have his power. There's never been a time that God ceased to be God. So my point is, is he has good plans. There's never, I'm going to say it again, there's never been a time that God wasn't God and that God didn't have the power that God has. There has been a way that he has executed his plan and has brought it to pass. He created humans. He loved us. We were of another order, right? We were made in the image of God, but yet still we fell. We were uh, stricken with sin. We lost our birthright. We were uh, barred from the garden. We were pushed from the family, and God had to methodically, in his plan, in his time, put the family back together by going out. The prodigal must come home, but there had to be a firstborn that could step up and execute the plan. Why? Because God's kingdom is just, and it is right. He doesn't make an excuse. He doesn't circumvent the plan. He doesn't say, well, we'll just put that one under the rug, and everything will be okay. Absolutely not. He does it line upon line. It's right. He doesn't take a shortcut. He goes every time the way the scripture says it's God's plan, and he will do it God's way. It's, it's never ceased to be God's way, God's plan, God's power. And when you feel like things are out of control, I want you to know there's nothing different about that day than the day he came, than the day before he came. Then the day Adam was driven from the garden. Your life has its ups and downs, but guess what? God's doesn't. That's one thing that these religions miss. Jesus was born. He was a good man, the perfect man, the best man to ever walk. No, he was God. And this was God's plan, and that's how he chose to reveal himself. Make no mistake, though, he's always been. Had a rough day, had a rough year. He's still God. He still loves you. Number two, the position of Jesus in power. This, that you need to cling to this. The position of Jesus in power, seated at the right hand, holding the scepter, ruling with righteousness, right? Firstborn. The position of Jesus in power allows us an eternal place in the kingdom of God. This is the aspect of him being both God and man. Why does he need to be both God and man? Because he redeemed who? Man. He does human being stuff better than human beings could ever do human being stuff. You see what I'm saying? To put it crudely. He became sin. Who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God is what the scripture said. 
huh. Everybody say, huh. The righteousness of God. There's a scepter in his hand, and that scepter represents his what? Righteousness. His justice. How's our, I, man, I'm just on this kick today, and I'm going to keep kicking it. How's our government doing with justice? Real good, right? Come on, y'all. And I'm not talking about what side you are on politically. And if that's what you're thinking, here's the altar. Get right with the Lord. It doesn't matter what side. Because his side is just. When we realize that it's not about government and it's about good and evil, we're going to get far ahead in life. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's good and evil. It's the fact that the enemy is working in anyone who will give him a place. In anyone who craves power, I think John put it this way, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of the Father abides what? Forever. So Jesus' kingdom is counterculture. It is a scepter of justice and righteousness, but that is not emblematic of our culture, of our government, of our world. In fact, it's the opposite. And God calls us, and this is the book of Revelation, that God, God calls us to serve the, the king. He calls us to serve the lamb, not the dragon. And if we're not careful, our lives are emblematic of control, of power, of pride, and not of humility and love and gospel. You understand what I'm saying? Let me blow your mind real quick. This is it. Come on up, Mr. Drew. Here's my question to you. Are you serving the kingdom of God? If Jesus is ruling, come on, let, let's all go in our mind's eye while they get ready to sing for communion. Follow me right here. Stay right here. I need you to lock in with me. Ready? If Jesus is sitting in heaven, ruling with a scepter, his scepter is a representation of justice and righteousness. Are you one of his subjects? Are you a part of the royal family? Come on now. Are you? I hope so. If you're not careful, though, we get lost in the sauce. We're serving the other kingdom. Let me give you an example of what it means to serve the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 3, verse 15 through 17 says this. This is Jesus' baptism. Jesus answered him, talking about John the Baptist, allow it for now because this is the way for us to fulfill all what? Righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, anointing. Somebody say anointing. Anointing. And coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. What are we talking about in Hebrews? His sonship. Two times in Jesus' ministry that we see a watershed moment, pun intended, where he is stepping into his authority as king. One is his baptism. The second one is his resurrection. Follow me on this. 
Water is a picture of death and chaos. When we're baptized, we bury ourselves in baptism, but we're raised to walk in newness of life. Jesus' kingdom is characterized by defeating the forces of darkness, by defeating the thing that we all fear the most, death. And we know that he came out of that grave alive. Somebody say amen. And what does that defeat? What does his death defeat? The sting of death is sin. Jesus' death, the gospel, it defeats our sin. It allows us, yes, we are far from him. We are families that have been estranged. We have been kicked out of the family because of our sins. But because of what Jesus did, his ministry was not something physical. It was something spiritual. You see, it's not about what country you live in. It's about your heart. It's about where your loyalty lies. And what Jesus said is, what I, what I want you to understand is I died for you. I died to claim you. I died to save you from your sins and my scepter of justice and righteousness. If you'll believe in me, it will cleanse you. You can step into my kingdom any day of the week and I will go before you. We will conquer all of our enemies. The enemy wants you to think that it's what you see. The enemy wants you to think that the kingdom is sides. It's right and wrong. If you think you're on the right side and you're living like the devil, you're not. Well, I thought, I thought you didn't live, work a good life to get to heaven. No, but it's a good thermometer to see where you're at, where your heart's at. If his scepter of righteousness is just that, it's, it's goodness going out, it's love going out. And you think, well, I, I trusted Jesus and I got dunked in the water and I'm good. I can live how I want to live. That's not how he established it. He established righteousness forever. He didn't save you to give you a license to sin. He saved you from your sin. We need to, yes, do better. But here's what I'm saying. We do better by putting our faith and trust in him. Let he which hath begun, Philippians 1.6, he which hath begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We've lost sight of his righteousness. We've lost sight of letting Jesus live through us. The kingdom of God wants you to just be a willing vessel. The kingdom of God wants, Jesus wants to love people through you. But if you're being selfish, if you're being self-centered, there's no place for him to be at the center. At his baptism, it was a perfect illustration where he says, I'm defeating the forces of darkness. I'm defeating the very thing that is keeping you from being in my family. The Lord wants all of us to be in his family, amen? If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, understand this, he saved you because of his work, not your own but that doesn't mean there isn't work for you to do. Somebody say amen. <laughs> There's work to be done. The best work, the best love, the, mo the, the most kind Christian, the one who's doing the most for God are the ones that are letting him do the most through them. Let's let Jesus work through us. Let's let his kingdom go out from us.